White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Welcome into White Sox Weekly. Happy Saturday afternoon to you. I'm Connor McKnight. Thanks, big voice guy. White Sox fans, 2023 ticket plans are available now. We offer a variety of plans when you lock in today. You'll get flexible payment plans, savings on single games, great seat locations, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash season Tickets. So the World Series is underway. The White Sox managerial search continues. Got a couple of decisions by potential free agents. Actually, a little bit of news just breaking in the last couple of, uh, I don't know, within the last hour or so about a big-time player that might have hit free agency, but instead will not. And it's not anybody that was probably on the White Sox radar. If he'd gone to free agency, but we'll talk about it some. Lots to do this afternoon, as always. Our phone number here on White Sox Weekly, 312-332-3776. You call the number, want to talk a little White Sox, you'll be on the phone with Charlie Bevins, our producer this afternoon. Hi, Charlie. How you doing, my man? Good What's to up, have Connor? You. Good to hear from you again. I just uh, was with you yesterday, basically. And that's right. That's right. I forgot. We both, uh, we both worked the Cap and Jay Hood show. Neither of us were Cap or Jay Hood, but we played roles on the show and had a good time. Uh, your picks for the college football Saturday are looking a lot better than anyone else's picks uh, from that game. But that's that's neither here nor there. Anyway, Charlie's a, a little fine here. young man. It's a it's little here. I, I, I would I say it's it a little is. here and there. You, you would, but then again, you're on top of picks. So there's that's that's the you thing. Uh, anyway, you talk. You call the phone number, 312-332-3776. You're going to talk with Charlie, and then you'll talk with me here on White Sox Weekly. So that's the fine young man, Charlie Bevins. I I have something that I've been hoping for for a couple of weeks here on White Sox Weekly for you toward the end of the show. Um, I mentioned it in last week's show, and for that matter, I might have mentioned it the week before that. Jeff Perlman is, uh, as it turns out, one of my favorite authors and one of Charlie's favorite authors. He's done a bunch of different sports books, uh, biographies, some of them, uh, some of them just kind of like you know histories of particular teams or events or, or what have you. He's a, a an absolutely terrific author. I have yet to read, because it just came out, his newest book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson, but I will be acquiring it this weekend, and I will be digging into it. Usually with a Jeff Perlman book, I read it in about 36 to 48 hours. Most people do, because they're page turners. You, just, you cannot put them down. They are so well done. Uh, and Jeff's latest obviously has to do with one of the you know, the biggest legends uh, in baseball history, in football history, in White Sox history. Bo Jackson's return to baseball happens with the White Sox in 1993. He had a three-run homer that helped seal a division for the Sox against the Mariners. So we're going to talk to Jeff right about 1.45 this afternoon about the new book. We'll tell a lot of Bo Jackson stories. Uh, we had to lay this interview down last week. Um, so I can tell you that it is just jam-packed with Bo Jackson stories, and it's terrific. You're really going to enjoy it, uh, and if you liked the interview, and I'm sure you will, go out and get yourself the book. 
The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. Again, that's Jeff Perlman's latest, and we are going to talk with him right about 145 here on the day. Also in the show this afternoon, I've got a story about how our very own Len Casper is influencing this World Series. Maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't. This isn't a podcast that came out a couple of days ago, but I'm going to play for you the audio uh, a little after 1.30 or so, and we're going to tell you a fun story about White Sox, the voice of the White Sox here on ESPN 1000, Len Casper, and how he is influencing the World Series. And I don't know, maybe next week we'll call Len, get him to comment on the story that's, uh, that concerns his very self. Um, want to get into the state of the managerial search, uh, a poll that James Fegan did on The Athletic regarding the same last night's game a little bit. Uh, I thought, you know, I'm sure a lot of people were glued to the World Series last night. The the ratings have been good for the playoffs and the Houston Astros and Phillies bring in, you know, some watchers, some viewers, all that kind of stuff. I'll get into the game itself a little bit later because there's two things specifically uh, that I want to talk about happened in last night's game. One of them, I think, concerns the 2023 White Sox in a way. And one of them is just something I saw in last night's game that I really thought was uh, the right call by the umpiring crew. We'll get to that in a moment. But the biggest issue concerning White Sox fans about last night's game was this. The Phillies won game one of the World Series, six to five in 10 innings, which means that the Astros can no longer run undefeated through the World Series and the White Sox in 2005. Their 11-1 record in the playoffs stands as what's going to be, at very least, tied with the best run through the playoffs of all time. The Astros have now lost one game. Had they swept the World Series, they would have gone 11-0, of course, winning three, then four, and then another four had they one last night, and if they swept the Phillies, uh, but instead the best they can do is 11-1 and and the 2005 White Sox. I guess something like the 72 Dolphins can pop champagne, knowing that they probably wouldn't. I mean, listen, you know most of the guys on that 05 White Sox team. They celebrated the title. All right, They're workmen. They knew what they were doing. I don't think they're necessarily going to pop bottles of champagne for this, but it is still kind of cool. Uh, and I've got two on this day in White Sox history events that we will celebrate a little bit, talk about a little bit too. Uh, But as you know, during the offseason, we spend a lot of time on the review preview series. And this show, I want to spend a little bit of time on one of the simpler or I guess more straightforward aspects of the White Sox from 2022 into 2023, and that's the rotation. On last week's episode, we talked about the outfield. It was part one of the review preview series on the outfield. Part two is going to be a a lot more complicated and a lot more involved, I think, once the list of free agents officially comes out. Once guys are, you know, leaving teams, declining options, options get picked up, trades, all that kind of stuff. We'll talk more about what the state of the outfield in 2023 may look like when we know some more of those answers. But we laid down a good chunk of what happened in 22 and what you can expect from players that are more than likely going to be on the roster in 23. Guys like Andrew Vaughn and Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, just to name a few. And yes, Vaughn's likely moving to first base, it sounds like. Uh, But that's still yet to be decided as well. When I want to, when I sat down and kind of thought about what would be the best for this particular episode, I thought the rotation would be a good place to to have our review preview conversation at this point. We'll talk a little bit about free agents that might fit into the 2023 White Sox. But as you look back 
on 2022. It is, you know, from my money, tough to find another area of the team that performed as routinely as the White Sox rotation. We'll talk about the bullpen in another episode, but as the White Sox rotation did in 2022. If you slide over to Fangraphs.com, a wonderful website, a website you should support if you're a baseball fan, and if you can, and you sort by wins above replacement by starters in 2022, guys who took the ball and made starts for their particular team, the White Sox were 15th in baseball, middle of the road, with 12 wins above replacement. Their strikeouts per nine, which will you use will use here uh, in lieu of strikeout percentage, although you certainly could. You could sub that in if you'd like. The White Sox were 13th in baseball. The overall um, expected, well, let's use FIP, fielding independent pitching, right? Which I think matters quite a bit when we know that the 2022 White Sox were not the defensive team that, they, um, that they'd hoped to be, quite honestly. Um, and that's even baking in the kind of idea that they weren't going to be all that great defensively going in. They were 15th in baseball. So while they were right in the middle of the road, 15 and 16, and those three cumulative stats that I just gave you, uh, and we can go through ERA and some of the more standard stats too a little bit later on in the show if you'd like, um, I thought this one through five and what became one through six with Davis Martin getting added in on a pretty regular basis was kind of the bulwark of the team in 2022. It was more or less the thing you could count on when not much else was going right. Remember, too, since this is the review preview episode, we're looking all the way back to the beginning of 2022, which means that these numbers, the numbers I just gave you, where the White Sox are in the middle of the road, uh, unfortunately include, unfortunately for the cumulative stats, I mean, eight starts by Dallas Keuchel, 32 innings pitched, with his you know earned run total of 28 it was it was a really rough year for Dallas Keuchel with the White Sox and you know it it lasted eight starts it might have gone a little bit longer but the White Sox saw fit to uh, release him from the team after the results just weren't there Johnny Cueto was ready to roll and this rotation changed this team I, I think changed quite a bit at least from a pitching perspective when those decisions were made Johnny Cueto, I think, kind of almost more than anyone else, maybe other than Dylan Cease, kind of defined the White Sox in 2022. It wasn't the season that people expected, obviously. It wasn't the season that the team expected. The expectations were for playoff appearances, and at 81 and 81, that did not happen for the White Sox in 2022. So when you kind of boil down the, you know, what did it feel like? What was the year kind of like? It was kind of like Johnny Cueto's season. It was good, but nobody saw it coming. And ultimately, not enough to really make a difference in the you know kind of history and the chapters of the White Sox franchise uh, over the last couple of decades. It, it just wasn't the year they wanted. And while Johnny Cueto was everything you could ask for, ultimately this starting pitching staff, Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito, Johnny Cueto, Lance Lynn, Michael Kopech, Davis Martin, and others who made starts just weren't enough to kind of um, you know keep them in the division against the Guardians late and down the stretch. I want to talk a little bit more about some of the specific performers on this White Sox rotation and exactly where we may be seeing some changes in 2023 when we come back. 
312-332-3776. That's the phone number. You want to talk a little White Sox? You want to talk about the rotation from last year or heading into next? That's the number. You'll talk with us here on White Sox Weekly. We've got a story about Len Casper and his influence on this year's World Series coming up in just a little bit and an interview with author Jeff Perlman about his very latest book, The Last Full Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson, coming to you at 145. I'm Connor McKnight. More White Sox Weekly on the other side here on ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's home for sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. You can become a White Sox insider today for sweepstakes, special offers, the Friday Five, pre-sales, and other exciting content delivered free to your inbox. Visit whitesox.com slash insider today. It's uh, part one. I think there might be two parts of the review preview episode focusing on the starting pitching for the White Sox 2022 into 2023 kind of tradition here on White Sox Weekly. We look back before we look forward. We were doing uh, we're talking just a bit about Johnny Cueto, I guess, as we hit the break. And I kind of want to focus on a few other guys, obviously, as well, uh, and get into a little bit of the latest news around the White Sox, too. You know, kind of the managerial search perspective. Obviously, that's kind of the biggest piece of news, uh, pending news for the White Sox. Nothing new, necessarily, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. Got an interview with Jeff Perlman, whose new book on Bo Jackson is out. It's on shelves or in Amazon warehouses nearest you, and you can order that. You should. We're going to talk with Jeff at about 1.45 this afternoon. It's a uh, it's an awesome book. Looking forward to the conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. The, the rotation for the White Sox in 2022, I thought featured maybe the biggest, most impressive story of the season for the White Sox. And I I get that that comes, you know, the 2021 season, uh, 22 season rather, with some disappointment. They didn't get where they wanted to get. But it was quite frankly amazing to watch Dylan Cease take the ball each of the 32 times that he did in 2022. The switch was flipped this year. And and quite honestly, it happened more than once. I, I think if you look at the year he had, and compare it to the 21 season. You saw flashes in 21, more than flashes, really, of this young guy who was making, you know, kind of his his first full season go in the bigs in 21. I think it's really easy to forget that Cease, who debuted in 19, got into 14 games, started 14 games through 73 innings, then had the 2020 season, right, interrupted by the pandemic and all of that, and then in 21 posted 32 starts. 32 starts in 165 innings, more than doubling his professional inning total in the last two years combined. 22, he threw 184 innings. He did lead baseball in walks at 78, but the strikeouts per nine, the strikeout percentage was wonderful. He did not allow many base runners. He allowed very few home runs, fewer than one per nine innings pitched. He dropped the hits per nine down by over a point and a half. The ERA was a spectacular 220. The strikeout total was 227, another top 10 total all time in White Sox franchise history. And when you you say that you want to watch a guy take the next step, I think Dylan took 
two steps in, in 2022, maybe even three. I mean, frontline guy for sure. What's what's missing from Cease's 22 is a postseason start where you could have said there he is on the biggest stage competing against the best opponents and putting his team in a position to win. It's not necessarily Dylan's fault he didn't get a postseason start, but I think it needs to be said that you know, given the way that the season, uh, the postseason went against the Astros in 21, where you did have that and you're looking for more, I think you continue to look for more. I, I think also with Dylan, you know, when you kind of do the um, your offseason plan, right? What are the White Sox set to do? What could they do to improve the team in 2022? And I think you've seen this reported in a couple of different places as well. You know, it's it's different from front office to front office. You know, are there untouchables on your roster? Are there guys you just won't trade? And some GMs will tell you there's no such thing as an untouchable. Some will say, we're listening on everybody, but it'd take a hell of a lot to get a guy like this out of our system. And, and some will tell you, you know, depending on what stage of a, you know, of a build the franchise is in, well, these kind of guys are the guys we're not going to move. We're building the franchise around these guys, you know, whether it's a group of players or whether it's uh, more than that, whether it's, uh, you know, kind of a, a tier of prospects or whatever. You get those kind of three different answers. I think for the White Sox, uh, Rick Hahn's been asked this question, and I think he's kind of danced around the, uh, uh, the, the answer just a little bit. However, you, you kind of get the sense in reporting that Dylan Cease is one of two, maybe three guys signed to this White Sox roster that isn't going anywhere. And I get that. I really do. I I wouldn't move on Dylan Cease. I think if you're drawing up what the 23 White Sox look like, it's got Dylan starting opening day if, if everybody's healthy, if health is no issue. Elsewhere in the rotation, you know, last year, you had Michael Kopech making his first full run in a rotation at 26, 119 in a third innings, 25 starts. And we had Michael on White Sox Weekly. I'm going to go ahead and say midway through the season, a couple of starts after the uh, the knee issue popped up against the Rangers at Guaranteed Rate Field, I believe in June. And I asked him whether or not it was fair to look at his season up to that point as kind of in two parts. Kopech before the knee issue, Kopech after the knee issue. And of course, he ended the season on the IL with some shoulder fatigue. He had the knee cyst uh, addressed via surgery. The shoulder seemed fine. Poor Rick Hahn at the end of the year, but he did not pitch for the last, I think it was 12, 14 days. Assuming health is there for Michael and that the offseason is one where he's able to, to address, you know, kind of the strength that wasn't around in the starts after that, that, that game against the Rangers where the knee kind of went on him. I think he's still got the upside and the bright spots that everybody saw in him when the White Sox acquired him from the Boston Red Sox for Chris Sale uh, back a couple of years ago that he still had after the Tommy John surgery and that he had last year pitching a couple of starts and mostly out of the bullpen. What was different, I think, most for Michael Kopech in the second half after that knee issue and before was the sharpness of the breaking ball, whether it was the, you know, it was mostly the slider and sometimes that curveball, but it, it was, it was sharp. It was nasty. He could throw it for strikes and throw it as the wipeout pitch. That game against the New York Yankees in Yankee Stadium uh, back late May was unbelievable stuff from Kopech, or I, I guess better put, the kind of stuff a lot of people believed Kopech could do 
when he was at the top of his game against, at the time, the best offense in baseball. Kopech went in there, shut him down like it wasn't anything. The fastball is so reliable for Kopech and misses so many barrels that it's something you can lean on and provides him uh, a very solid floor in this game. That next step for Kopech, kind of like we talked about Dylan achieving last year, has absolutely got to be you know, staying staying strong through a season because nobody stays quote unquote healthy through a season, but staying strong and being more more reliable, finding a more reliable way uh, to land that breaking ball for strikes to be able to command it and have that sharpness attached to it. I, I think that's kind of the look on Kopech that I had last year. Lance Lynn's a little bit more of a tough one, I think. You know, the, the setback of the surgery late in spring training was pretty evident, right? I mean, if you, if you look at the starts, you, you see very clearly two Lance Lins in 2022. There was a lot of rust that, uh, that the big guy had to kick off, and it started uh, against Detroit June 13th. He gave up 10 hits. He held them to three runs, but that was against one of the worst offenses in baseball. And you thought, okay, if that's where Lance is at now, and getting by and pitching around. Some, okay, maybe you get there. Um, July was tough for him, and even some starts in August were. But if you kind of go from that August 14th start against the Tigers, too, and run it through his final 10, it's a 2-1-8 ERA in 62 innings. I think for Lance, you go, okay, assuming that stuff that he had in the final 10 starts is the stuff he's got starting 2023, You've got Lance Lynn. Uh, maybe it's a little bit, you know, age comes for everybody, and maybe it's not quite the velocity uh, that Lance Lynn had been working with over the last two years, but the guy knows his way around the strike zone. He is very capable of limiting damage in a similar way that Johnny Cueto showed you he could do it with a low strikeout percentage. And, and even still, you know, for Lance, while staying healthy is a big key, he's able to take the ball. He still threw 121 innings in 21 starts last year and that's you know that's low yeah I, I assume he would have said and i'm probably did that was low for him in 2022 uh and and i think he looks at that season as definitely something he didn't want to have happened but keeping the ara under four 3.99 he was managed to shoot for a couple of goals late in the year and i think the key there is lance needs to be that second or third guy in the rotation and, and pitch like he did in, in 2021 more often in order for the White Sox to call this a a rotation that is secure heading into 23. Lucas Giolito's year was not the season he wanted. And I, I think in a couple of different interviews he's given since the end of the year, he's kind of summed it up as, as it sucked. Uh, his words, he, he talked about that, I think, at his end-of-season uh, press conference. Not that he had a press conference, but his, after his last start, it just – the fastball change was there at times, and nothing else really seemed to be. Uh, there were the injury, the, the, the injury that started the season about with COVID, a lot of different things that kind of derailed a run for him. And, you know, overall, I, I think you can look at Lucas Gilito and go, okay, well, this is a guy that if nothing else, and I think there's a lot more to it than this, but if nothing else knows what it's like to hit the bottom and build yourself completely back up, maybe even from scratch if he needed to, while you know, kind of revamping his delivery and all that other kind of stuff um, that that he did 
talking to Ethan Katz when he was still with the Giants at, at the time and kind of going outside the organization to get some help, rebuild that delivery, and come back for the 2019 that he had to say nothing of the 2020 and 2021, all good seasons, some better than others. I count on Lucas to bounce back. Uh, uh, the question as to what happens next for the White Sox rotation or whether Lucas is bouncing back for the Sox is a fair one. Maybe we'll get into that when we come back. want to tell you a story about uh, Len Casper, our very own Len Casper, when we come back as well. And we've still got that interview with Jeff Perlman about his new book on Bo Jackson to play for you here in White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox fans, if you're planning a special occasion and looking for the perfect location, we've got you covered. When you reserve your group outing for 2023, you get priority access to the biggest matchups and the best space for your group. For more information, visit whitesocks.com slash groups. It's part one of the review preview episode of the starting rotation. Uh, part two is coming up to you likely next week. Lots to do today. Some news and notes to get to, too, before we play a little story about Len Casper. This just out, Bob Nightingale of USA Today has just tweeted, uh, Rob Manford, commissioner of baseball, says the ghost runner and extra inning rule will likely stay. The clubs like it. The players like it, Manford said. I think overall fans like it. I think it does sort of bring a focus at the end of the baseball game in a way that has been positively received. Respectfully, I disagree. I'm not a huge fan of the zombie runner in extra innings, um, but it sounds like it's staying, so we'll all just kind of have to get used to it. Told you I wanted to update you on the White Sox managerial search. Uh, we told you last week, and it's actually kind of breaking news, uh, Ozzie Guillen has reportedly interviewed with this team about the managerial job. No real moving and shaking yet, and at this point, you would kind of expect it to be after the World Series that the White Sox make an announcement um, about the manager. I doubt it would be something during the World Series, but I suppose anything is possible. A couple of guys came off the board. Skip Shoemakers, now the manager of the uh, Marlins. That is one guy, or one space, rather, that had been looking for a new manager. Uh, let's see. what are the, Oh, on this day in White Sox history, speaking of managers, the White Sox hired Tony La Russa in 2021. The second time, also on this day in White Sox history, they signed Jose Abreu to his very first big league contract. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, I don't know about you, but hopefully they sign him to just one more contract. I told you at the start of the show that our very own Len Casper is having an impact on this year's World Series in a way you might not know. Joe Davis is calling the World Series for Fox for the first time in his career after Joe Buck left the network. And so now it's Joe Davis and John Smoltz. Uh, on a podcast, Joe Davis told a story about how Len Casper, who was then with the Cubs, affected his rise, uh, Joe's rise, to baseball stardom. Here it is. So I grew up a Cubs fan. And was going to a Cubs game in my sophomore year of college. Uh, my dad and I were were headed down there, and I decided I was going to handwrite a note to give to Len Casper to try and introduce myself to him. And wrote this note, had it folded up, put it in my pocket. We parked in Wrigleyville, walking through Wrigleyville, and 
get into the stadium, get up to the press box, going to leave it with the press box attendant to take to Len, and I reach in my pocket and it's gone. Like, oh, what a bummer. You know, I'd taken all this time to handwrite this long note and wasn't going to be able to deliver it. So we watched the game. We're driving back to Michigan. There's a Cubs loss, of course. And I get a call, and it's from the owner of the Taco Bell across the street from Wrigley Field. And she said, hey, I just want to let you know I have your letter. It's got a footprint on it. Somebody found it on the sidewalk. It's got a footprint on it, but I've got it. And I'll take it over to the stadium, make sure Len gets it. A couple of weeks later, I got an email from Len that said, hey, let's, let's chat sometime. And he became one of my very first mentors. And my first real job in baseball was announcing for the Montgomery Biscuits in Alabama. The ownership group for that team was based in Chicago. And so, like, my heavy hitter that I brought in when I was one of the finalists to make a call for me was Len. And had that Taco Bell owner not found the note on the sidewalk, I don't know if uh, if that connection would have been made. And I don't know if I would have gotten the biscuits job without it. That's the new voice of the World Series, Joe Davis, on the Marshand and Orand podcast. Andrew Marshand and John Orand. Uh, and Len Casper, if you didn't know it already, Len Casper, good dude. And we're very happy to have him as the voice of the White Sox here on ESPN 1000. We are also very happy to have Jeff Perlman, author of the new book, The Last Folk Hero, Life and Myth of Bo Jackson, as our guest when we come back here on White Sox Weekly. It's ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. We're joined by author Jeff Perlman. His new book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson, just came out on Tuesday. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. I have absolutely adored your work in the past. The Bad Guys Won, the book about the 86 Mets, is one of my favorite books all time without any kind of uh, criterion or category attached to it. Thanks and congratulations on the book. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, absolutely. It's a topic I always wanted to write about. Yeah, so it's it's an obvious starter, but better than leading off asking whether the book covers Pro Stars, a 90s cartoon I watched as a kid where Michael Jordan and Bo Jackson and Wayne Gretzky were a crime-fighting trio. Uh, but, but why Bo? What, what, drew, what drew you to Bo? Well, first, I want to tell you, I interviewed the guy who did the voice of Bo Jackson for Pro Stars. Yes! It did not wind up, it did not wind up making the book. But I will tell you, sadly, it was not Bo Jackson's voice in Pro Stars. There was someone voicing Bo Jackson. I hope that doesn't crush 12-year-old you. When uh, when I found out that at age I was like nineteen and in college it it did set me back for a weekend like I was there was a there was a week extra weekend of beer buys uh, that I needed to go through just to heal from that yeah I'm sorry to do that to you but um, I am um, I grew up you know I grew up I'm a little older than you and I grew up a kid loving Bo Jackson and idolizing Bo Jackson Bo Jack I had the you know the ball player poster on my wall the one with him wearing the pads with the baseball bat. I had the other post serve him with all the different uniforms from the different sports. I just was a huge fan, and I thought the mystery of Bo Jackson, number one, two mysteries, all these things you hear that he did, did he really do them? And then he vanished, and what could have been, and what happened? I just thought he was made for a, a really good biography. You, you've been doing this really cool thing on Twitter, and you can follow Jeff at Jeff Perlman on Twitter. You've been tweeting out your top 10 favorite Bo Jackson moments with the video and kind of talking through them and telling the story a bit as, as the moment plays out. Two things there. My, my favorite might be where he snaps the bat over his head. The sound on the broadcast 
of the it, it's just phenomenal. I have no idea how they got that. It sounds like a tree snapping in the wind, right? Uh, and second, what a what a cool way to promote a book. It's very new agey. It's very uh, I, I I really dig it. I think fans of Bo and the White Sox and the Royals and and of your writing really probably enjoyed and, and latched on to this way to promote. Oh, I appreciate that. And I would say two things. Number one, I agree with you. That whole the, he it's a game against Milwaukee. Strikes out uh, and. Um, he snaps the bat over his helmet. And, yeah, he broke the bat on the swing, so it's not quite as, you know, breathtaking as, as maybe people think. But the sound, it just it sounds like fire, like wood burning in a fire, the crack of it. And uh, yeah. I ended up going – we had a real debate in my house with my son. What should be number one, uh, the Harold Reynolds throw against Seattle Ooh. or him climbing up the wall? And I ended up going with him climbing up the wall in Baltimore because I said to my son, like, there have been every year there are amazing throws where we say this is the best throw ever, but there's never been a guy who climbed up a wall in a major league baseball game the way Bo Jackson did. Never. <laughs> the uh, the other tweet I saw was from Jason Isbell, the the superstar musician. Uh, it was a tweet about Bo having been thrown out stealing second while in high school, just the the one time. And it, it made sense to me that Isbell's into the book and Bo, right? They're, they're both Alabama guys, Isbell and Bo Jackson. But more importantly, uh, what high school legend threw out Bo Jackson stealing second in high school? <laughs> there was a catcher for Jess Lanier High named Sam Doss, and he was a uh, he remembered it vividly. He was a five foot seven catcher with really strong legs. He knew Bo was fast. He knew Noah Capo. They were there. The Jess Lanier, Sam Doss's high school, and Bo Jackson's school, McAdory, were in the same town, and. Um, he called for a high fastball. He said, do not throw, give me anything in the dirt with this guy. <laughs> yeah. And he made the per- Oh, and here's the best part. Then Bo's next at bat, he hits a home run, walks across home plate, and winks at Sam Doss. Oh, come on. Yep. So here's, here's the funny thing about, about this book. About We're talking about Jeff Perlman. He's the author uh, of the new book on Bo Jackson. It's out Tuesday. The last folk hero, the life and myth of Bo Jackson. It just came out. Uh, we, you know, usually when we, we do interviews like this and when you do press like this, I, I would imagine you, you think some about, okay, well, I, I want people to go get the book. That's the business. It's the life we live. But with this, it feels like the territory is so rich, right? Like the stories about Bo Jackson are so many. It's probably why you titled it the way you did. I mean, you could you could probably tell Bo Jackson stories forever, right? Yeah, yeah. And there was a lot of stuff I left out. And there like – you know, there was a run he had as a senior against Georgia Tech. It's one of my favorite runs of all time. Seven different players had a shot to tackle him. One defensive lineman told me he missed a tackle, stood up, and just ran straight to the end zone, anticipating he would just try to reach Bo at the end zone when he got there, and he didn't. Um, but you can't use them all. Like, you just, there's not, you only have a limited number of pages in a book, and it's just like one dizzying story after another dizzying story after another dizzying story. And uh, I have some really good cutting floor stuff. That's, and that's fine. That's okay with the book. What, what is in the book about the, the White Sox 93 run to the ALCS that you can share? The, the Sox lost to the Blue Jays in six games. Bo helped clinch the division with a three-run homer against the Mariners that season. Uh, and maybe even, you know, for we have a lot of White Sox fans that listen that know Bo. Well, that's a terrible, but we'll leave it in because uh, yeah. Bo knows. But for Sox fans who were too young to have watched him play, you know, with the White Sox, what, what should they remember? What should they know about how Bo came to the team in 91 and, and how that whole, you know, that two, well, three season kind of run uh, happened in the first place? 
Yeah, so it's really interesting. He uh, he gets hurt in a playoff game against the Bengals when he's with the Raiders in 91. He reports to spring training with the Kansas City Royals, having just agreed to a $2 million contract that doesn't kick in until March. Um, he's on crutches at spring training. He can't play. The diagnosis is terrible. The Royals release him. And, um, you know, Bo seeks for a vow, vows revenge against the Royals. And he's uh, – who were totally, I mean, they were right to release him. You can't pay $2 million to a guy with a, with a you know, dead hip. So uh, Jerry Reinsdorf signs him to a very inexpensive deal. If nothing else, it's good publicity. What's the big deal? And um, he winds up coming back in 1991, playing on the, artif- on the uh, diseased hip. He doesn't have the hip replacement. Um, he, he, he's, you know, struggling. Comes to spring training in 92. He's really hobbled. And um, he gets a hip replacement. And if you read the columnist in Chicago back then, it's pretty much like, this is a joke. This is never going to happen. I don't even know why he's wasting his time. Well, he comes back in 93 and he's their DH. Now he's he's one, you know, he's splitting time with Dan Pasqua and George Bell, but he's a DH and he's a viable DH. He's not amazing. He's not what he was. He can't steal bases anymore, but he's kind of legit. And I'm sure a lot of fans remember the game against Seattle. Dave Fleming of the Mariners is on the mound. Um, who coincidentally I grew up down the street from and um, Fleming throws him a meatball slider and Jackson hits a home run that leads them to the ALCS. And the best part of Bo Jackson with the White Sox is they're on a team flight coming back from California. I start the book with this story after playing the angels, the engine catches on fire and people are freaking out, freaking out. And they look out the window and there's flames running up the body of the airplane. They're 30,000 feet up. And suddenly, out of the cockpit comes Bo Jackson, and he says, everyone calm down. The pilots have it under control. Just get in your seats. Get in your seats. Everything's good. And, you know, to a man, people were saying how just insane it was that Bo Jackson was in the cockpit of this plane talking to the pilots. And then someone said, no, actually, that story's wrong. He wasn't in the cockpit. When the plane caught on fire, he was running up to the cockpit to help the pilots. But he actually hadn't been in there. He ran up to help. And I said in the book, like, both stories can be true with Bo Jackson because he's just mythological. And maybe he was helping fly the plane. Maybe he ran up to help them fly the plane. And either way, they made an emergency landing in Des Moines, Iowa. There's nothing open. It's 3.30 in the morning. And there's a, uh, there's a keg with a lock on it at a kiosk. And Bo Jackson picks up the keg, breaks off the lock with his bare right hand, and the White Sox drink beer at 3.30 in the morning after nearly dying in a plane crash unbelievable i mean that's it makes sense right you got to quench the flames but that is that is absolutely wild i i love i love unanswerable sports hypotheticals uh like my favorite might be you know, baseball wise each row could have hit 40 homers a year if he wanted to right it's it's this you can't answer that there's no way to prove that people have their opinions about it but the other one you know for Bo, it's this if he'd have just played baseball after college what kind of career are we talking about? Do you, do you have a, a, a way you might answer that question? Yeah, so I have two answers. If he truly threw himself into baseball 100%, and just he was all about baseball, and he went to the – because he came out very raw out of Auburn, like very, very, very raw and very inexperienced. And the Royals rushed him up because contractually they agreed to do that. But if he put everything in, he had Mike Trout, Mickey Mantle talent. He really did. He really, truly did. He had that level of talent and I think could have been that level of player. I think if he continued on a, on a path where he was playing football and baseball, 
he could have been a Sean Green or a Raul Mondesi, which is to say a really, really good player, a couple-time all-star. But if he threw himself into it, the sky was truly the limit of how good he could have been. Well, but he doesn't play both sports if, if the Raiders don't take him in the seventh round of the draft, right? That was There was a whole – he was going to go early and then didn't. And then I, I think Al, Al Davis was, was kind of the engineer of, of putting him with the Raiders and, and allowing him to play both sports. Yeah, so he was drafted number one overall in 1980. He won the Heisman Trophy at Auburn. He's drafted number one overall by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But a few months earlier, the Buccaneers flew Bo on their team plane, uh, team plane to Tampa to get a physical, and that was during Auburn's baseball season. And that flight violated SEC uh, rules, and Bo right. was declared ineligible for the remainder of his baseball season, his senior year of college. And um, he basically swore war against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, said, I will never sign with you, don't draft me. Well, they draft him number one, assuming like money will talk and fame will talk and he'll want to do it. They put him on the front of it, their ticket programs. And he's like, no, I said, I'm not signing with you. I'm not signing with you. Royals draft him in the fourth round. Um, a couple of years, a year later, Chris Woods, his former Auburn teammate, signs with the Raiders. And Bo Jackson reaches out to Chris Woods and says, tell Al Davis, I want to play for the Raiders. So the Raiders have a late pick. They, and, you know, because Bo's back in the draft in 86, uh, 87, and they used it on Bo Jackson. And um, he says, yeah, I want to play with you guys. And also there was the Nike factor, which is Nike really wanted him to be a two-sport guy because he was going to yeah. be the face of the cross trainer. So a lot of things came together to make him a Raider. So last one for you, Jeff, and, and thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Again, the book, for those of you who are, are kind of tuning in midway, it's The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson by Jeff Perlman. It's his latest, and I can't wait to read it. Um, I, I had the opportunity to you know, emcee a, a White Sox season ticket holder event with Bo Jackson last winter. And the only other time I've really run across him was in a White Sox charity golf outing. I was on the tee box. You know how those, some courses have the, the tee boxes kind of next to each other. One's going one way, one's going the other. So we're all on our tee box, and he's going the other way. So obviously all of us stop to watch Bo Jackson tee off. And he hits one like 3,000 miles, center cut, super casual. And, and that's kind of the way he was in, in the interview I did with him. Just super casual about everything up to and including you know, stories about, I asked him a few stories about myths that I had heard about him. Is this true? Is this true? And he just, yeah, this is how he did it. And this is, you know, this just made sense to me, all that kind of stuff. After, after writing the book, why do you think that's his way, that, that kind of super casual approach to the amazing things that he could do, that he can do? Um, number one, it always had been normal to him. Like he just, he was always the best athlete. He was always this gifted athlete. So when people come along and say, holy cow, blah, 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 blah. He's like, yeah, that's me. And number two, really to his credit, I just don't think he cares that much. I think he's, he's 60 years old. He's a grandfather. Like, all the like, bo, 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 bo. He's like, yeah, that was my life, but it's not my life anymore. And, you know, you and I, folks of our ilk, are always like, God, it's such a shame. He could have been a Hall of Famer. He could have been in two Hall of Fames. He could have been this. I don't think he gives a crap. I really don't. I don't think he's lost one iota of sleep about it. I just don't think he prioritizes it. Part of the mythology of him is he finishes in 1994 with the California Angels, and he just hobbles off into the sunset. And he's not, he's not selling both stakes on TV, and he's not complaining about how Derrick Henry isn't of his class. 
he just kind of vanished, and that adds to it all. Jeff, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Best of luck with the release, and enjoy it, man. Absolutely enjoy it. People are going to eat this thing up. All right, thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's Jeff Perlman, author of the new book, The Last Folk Hero, The Life and Myth of Bo Jackson. You can go pick it up now, Amazon, order it, any bookstore that still exists. Go pick it up. Jeff is one of my absolute favorite authors, and I cannot wait to read this book. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly this Saturday, a special time from 1 until 2. We'll be back next week at our usual time. 2 until 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday. And a reminder, Sox fans, you can stay up to date on all things White Sox by following the team's official social media accounts. Don't miss a minute of the action on and off the field. Follow the White Sox on social today, just at White Sox on any social media apparatus you can find and download. Big thanks to Charlie Bevins, our producer today. I'm Connor McKnight, and we will catch you next week for more White Sox Weekly right here on ESPN 1000.